Welcome to the Encounter Christian Church Message Podcast, where we bring you the latest messages from our Sunday services. To find out more about Encounter or to plan your visit with us, you can find us online at www.encounter.cc. We hope you enjoy this message. So, this morning is week three of our Hope is Born series. It's my pleasure to be bringing a message of hope around the time of Christmas. Christmas is absolutely hands down my favourite time of the year. I love it so much. Gingerbread houses, fairy lights, heaps of food, um, traditions with the family. It's just so fun. Such a fun memory for me. And of course, we turn our minds to the reason for the season, which is the birth of Jesus. And this morning, my message is titled Baby Fever. All right, don't go guessing why I'm wearing a flowy shirt. It's nothing like that. This is actually about how God wants all of you to be like babies. And me too. We're going to be jumping around in the Bible a little bit today. But our launching place is found in the book of John. And there's a story or a conversation that's recorded in chapter 3 of John between Jesus and one of the religious leaders of the day. He was a Pharisee and he was a member of the Jewish ruling council, so really high up religious leader. His name was Nicodemus. Now, Jesus had been teaching all around the place. He'd become quite famous for his teachings, drawing big crowds. And it may seem strange to us today when our view of Christian values is that they're quite conservative, But the teachings of Jesus in his own time were actually really radical and quite controversial. So this person, Nicodemus, excuse me, this religious expert came to see Jesus after dark one night to ask him some questions about the things that he'd been teaching. And we can actually read part of their conversation in the book of John, chapter 3. I'm going to read from verse 3 here. And Jesus says this to Nicodemus. I tell you the truth, unless you are born again... You cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? Justin Bieber sang. I mean, no. What do you mean? Nicodemus exclaimed. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. Should I stop there? You guys loved that. Awesome. We're done. No, this is a really interesting theological idea that Jesus introduced in this passage, the idea of being born again. It's a phrase most of us have probably heard before. You might think of Ned Flanders when you think of a born-again Christian. Though if you were a born-again Christian, you wouldn't get that secular reference, I'm sure. You might have some idea of what being born again means, or you might have heard it, but like Nicodemus, think it makes no sense at all. So whether you think you understand it or not, this is where we're going to start today. Just reconsider what Jesus means when he says we need to be born again. Why did Jesus insist on the importance of being born again to Nicodemus? Remember, Nicodemus is a religious expert who has every other aspect of his devotional life sorted out. And Jesus still says, you have to be born again. So let's pray this morning and then we'll get into it. God, I ask that you would come and breathe your life on these words this morning. 
We thank you for the power of your word. I ask that as it goes forth today, you would bring about new things, you would birth new hope in this place, God, that you would anoint my words, that you would speak to all of us present today. In your name, Jesus, amen. Amen. So I've brought a friend to help me today. This little baby. I don't really think I'm going to use her all that much, but I thought just a visual reminder for you all of... uh, Move my little of a small person. Thank you, Bill. Not just a small person. A baby. I borrowed this baby from the kinder room. She's actually quite filthy, but I gave her a little wash. I tried to sanitize her before I came over because the kids really, you know, love this baby with all of their facial fluids. Now, I want you to have a visual reminder of the sweetness and the innocence of a baby. Even a fake one like this. Can you guys see how cute she is? I'm gonna put her here, but hold that in your mind, right? This is a cute little baby. And if you've ever had a baby enter your life, maybe you're a parent or an older sibling or even a godparent, you will know there's something so exciting when you consider a baby's future. It's the limitless potential that you see in a newborn. There's something so special about it. Parents will understand this. The moments that you spend holding your newborn child, or perhaps even before they're born, when you're expecting a baby and you're wondering, will she be a teacher? Will she be a doctor? Will she be a musician, an athlete? Most parents I know don't have average standards when it comes to expecting or hoping about their child's future. Maybe as our children get older, we get to know them and we have a chance to stuff it up. Our standards start to slip a little bit. And by the time they leave home, you're just thinking, I hope she survives. But when they're babies, you're thinking professional sports people, surgeons, prime ministers. Babies are full of promise and they are full of hope. They represent our hopes for a future generation. And they're completely innocent. When we are reborn into a new spiritual life through the Holy Spirit and we become like babies, this is how God sees us. Innocent, full of promise, full of hope. There's a psalm where the psalmist is talking about God. And he says this, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbour his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions or our failures from us. One of the ways that we are born again when we walk with Jesus is that our past becomes irrelevant. Now, of course, earthly practical consequences are still a part of our lives. But in a spiritual sense, our past mistakes are as far away from us as the East is from the West. And how far is that? Well, that's a poetic way of saying they can never meet. You will never be reconciled with your past again unless you choose to pick it up. When God's Holy Spirit brings life to your spirit, it is a totally fresh start. You are born again with all the fresh hope and promise of a newborn baby. Isn't that good? 
So, of course, we're thinking about the birth of Jesus. It's Christmas time. We're celebrating that he was born. Have you ever stopped and considered the fact that Jesus came as a baby? He could have come as a man. Jesus didn't start his public ministry, the teaching that led Nicodemus to come and have this conversation with him until he was about 30 years old. Why didn't God just manifest him as a 30-year-old man? Some of you theologians out there might be thinking, well, because he had to fulfill the Old Testament prophecies and his genealogy was important. But who inspired those prophecies in the first place? God. God could have designed it anyway, and he could have had those prophets foretell that a man would suddenly appear at 30 years old and begin to minister, perform miracles. He could have affirmed Jesus as a man if he wanted to, but there is no aspect of Jesus' life or his manifestation on earth that was an accident. It was all part of God's design. So I'm saying this to highlight or to emphasize to us today that God designed the saviour of the world, to enter it as a baby. Now, I'm sure the reasons for that are manifold, but certainly one of the things that Jesus' life shows us is that God's purposes are fulfilled in maturity. They're fulfilled in that 30-year-old man, but they're actually revealed in infancy. What I'm saying is the greater purposes of Jesus' life was to reconcile us to the Father, to teach us about how to live and and be in the kingdom of God. But his perfect standing, which qualified him as our substitute on the cross, was a sinless life, something he could not have claimed unless he was first a baby, then a toddler and a child, a school child. It's a spiritual metaphor that Jesus himself established to show us that we must do the same. To allow God to birth new things in us that may be revealed in maturity or fulfilled in maturity, but revealed to us in our infancy. And so we need to be patient while God brings these things about to maturity. Perhaps as with the life of Jesus, it could be a 30-year journey to the public revelation of the purpose that he has been bringing to maturity in your life all along. Several places in the New Testament, in the Gospels, Jesus is recorded as affirming children, loving children. In Matthew 18, he says this, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. In Matthew 19, he says this to the disciples who were trying to stop the kids from coming and distracting people from his teaching. He says, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And what does it mean to be Christian? It means to be Christ-like. How did Christ enter the world? As a baby. So, stop being such a grown-up. That's my word for you today. You were born again spiritually as a baby because God wants you to understand that you are full of hope and promise. When we enter into relationship with God through Jesus, we become like him. And yes, we want to be growing and being led into maturity, but there's always going to be some parts of our lives that God is calling us to come and surrender to him 
to come and adopt his way of seeing things, ways of being around certain aspects of our lives. This is actually what repentance means. It's not just, oh, I'm sorry for doing the wrong thing or I didn't listen to you when I knew I should. Repentance means turning away from your human, worldly, fruitless ways of moving through the world and turning towards the Christ life, the model that Jesus gave us. And the trajectory of Jesus' life, I mean the fact that he was born as a baby, died as a man, and his teaching, both these things show us that the baby stage is unmissable. We cannot come to God as fully developed, mature, know-it-alls. I was telling someone this week that my personality type, it's like most negative trait is know-it-all. So I, I get this. I am a to- My husband calls me Kia, know-it-all. Right? I'm sorry. It is how I was born. I'm working on it. But I get why this is hard sometimes. You just want to have it all together and be responsible and do your best. But we can't be know-it-alls when we come to God. If... Um, you know, you may have a need to be an expert, not a know-it-all, but perhaps an expert in your work or there's a lot of people depending on you in your personal life. I'm not asking you to let go of those things. Hats off to you if you've become an expert in your field. But spiritually, if you want that clean slate, as far as the east is from the west, fresh start, you've got to be prepared to walk through infancy with God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 15, it says this. This is in verse 17. 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Now, some of you might think this is a message just for new Christians. But I'm actually talking to everyone here today, myself included. It's not just day one that you accept Christ. It's every day that you want to follow him. We have to be willing to adopt this childlike posture in his presence. And that's a good thing. Babies are so beautiful. The innocence of a newborn is so precious. The old is gone. The new has come. And this is how he sees us. When we come to God willing to relinquish our past... He gives us, in its place, the limitless potential of a newborn baby. Now, I know there are people here who have been walking with God for a really long time. And uh, there might have been failures in your past that have seen you lose hope about certain things. Maybe it's a failed business or a divorce or some kind of other family fracture. And you've lost hope in that area. You know, like, oh, I've tried to reach out before. They're not really interested in a restoring relationship. I'm just not cut out for business. Or I couldn't survive in ministry. You stayed faithful to God in your devotion to him. But at least in some areas, you've been approaching him as an adult. With all these perceived failures, frustrations, disappointments, because of that, you're not dreaming. Not engaging with the church or with your family not going for that promotion at work, not sticking your neck out as an entrepreneur. I'm here to tell you today that God would say, it's time to dream again. 
And it starts by letting go of your past. So there are three things this morning that I see becoming babies in a spiritual sense allows us to do. And the first one is this, dream again. There's a story in the Bible in the Old Testament about Eli and Samuel. And uh, there's so much in this story, but to me, it's a great example of dreams restored. Because you see, Eli was a priest. And in the Old Testament, the priesthood was actually a family business. So a priest's succession plan was to train up his sons in how to carry out the duties of priesthood. In Samuel 1... Uh, sorry, 1 Samuel chapter 3, we read about Eli when he's an old man and he's serving in the temple. But according to the scriptures, Eli had, while he had maintained his faithful service as a priest, he'd failed at his duty of raising up his sons to be priests. And actually, he'd gotten in a lot of trouble. What was supposed to happen is that the people of Israel would come and bring their offerings to the temple. The first fruits of their, uh, their herds, their grains, their fruits, things like that. And then they would be prepared in very specific ways by the priests as sacrifice to God. That's just how the religious system worked in those times. So the priest's job was to prepare the offering and make the sacrifice. And then out of what was left over, they could take their living, the food that they needed, um, things to keep the temple running. That was how the business of the temple was carried out. But what Eli and his sons had begun to do was to receive the offerings and instead of sacrificing them first and keeping the leftovers, they were taking the best parts for themselves first and then making the sacrifices. Now, this is such a foreign sort of system to us. You may not understand what a really big deal this is. It's kind of like an Old Testament form of embezzlement. And so through another prophet... God came and told Eli that his family was not going to be allowed to continue on as the priests in this place and that God was actually going to raise up another priest from a different family who would be faithful and do things the right way. Now, around about the same time, through another set of circumstances, which is a story for another day, a young boy named Samuel, probably about five or six years old, was presented to the temple by his mother, to be trained as a priest. And these two stories meet in the middle. And we now see a priest who's failed at training new priests and a boy who needs someone to teach him how to become a priest. You should read all of this in the book of Samuel. It's such a cool story. But the part that I want to highlight today, Samuel became the most important priest in the, na in the nation of Israel. He, as a priest, as an adult, went on to appoint and anoint the first king of Israel. So in their history, this is a really important thing. But he knew how to do that, how to anoint and appoint the king of Israel because after moving into the temple with Eli, he learned from Eli how to hear from God. Eli ended up teaching Samuel everything he needed to do. But he must have had some doubts along the way. Not Samuel, Eli, right? He must have doubted himself. Knowing he'd failed to teach and discipline his own sons who were born to do this job, he had the courage and faithfulness to believe that if God would give him a second chance, that he could dream again. 
God's plan to raise up Samuel, the most important priest so far in the history of Israel, included the opportunity to restore Eli's calling to him. While in a worldly, practical sense, there were still consequences for Eli's failure. His sons would never become priests. His family had lost the right to serve in the temple. On a personal level, God wanted to restore Eli to his purpose. And actually, more than just an optional restoration, God's plan depended on Eli being willing to go again. You know, sometimes I wonder if God has plans for Shepparton that depend on us having the courage to dream again. God's plan always includes opportunities for us to be restored to our purpose. And we have to, like Eli, be willing to dream again. So becoming like babies can give us the courage to dream again. Secondly, it can give us the strength to try again. You know that old saying, if at first you don't succeed, delete any evidence that you tried in the first place. No, if at first you don't succeed, try and try again. There are so many faith heroes in the Bible whose success was delayed in ways that must have felt like failure, but they stayed faithful. Noah built a boat on dry ground in a place where it had never rained. For 120 years, he kept building until the rain came and everybody thought he was actually insane. God promised Abraham a son. Pastor Robbie preached about this last week. Not just one son, but he actually promised Abraham that he would be the father of a great nation. But it took 25 years of infertility for that to come to pass. Month after month after month with no baby. Joseph had two dreams as a young man that he would become a great leader. Dreams from God that God had spoken into his life as a young man. But before he reached it, his own brothers sold him into slavery in Egypt. And then once he finally worked his way into a position of power then, jealousy from somebody else put him in prison. Sold into slavery, imprisoned. Many years later, he's finally elevated to that position of leadership that he saw in a dream as a boy. David was anointed king also as a young man. But it took years and years of fleeing for his life and fighting, living in caves for the right to live as the king he'd been anointed at, as a small boy. Daniel was put in the lion's den because his success caused jealousy amongst his rivals. For one full night, it looked like it was all over and his rivals thought that their plan had succeeded. But God delivered him from the lion's mouth and in the morning, he was completely safe. And the list goes on. All these people show us that journeying with Jesus, even following that God dream, is not a success-only path. Hardship is actually God's training ground. This is how we move from infancy to maturity. There's a process that prepares us. Thomas Edison, many of you will know, famously invented the light bulb amongst other successful inventions, but perhaps even more famously at this point, amongst thousands of failed inventions. He was fired from his first two jobs. Um, I read online, I don't know if this is true, but he spilt 
acid on his boss's desk trying to come up with some other invention. And that's what got, fired, got him fired from the second job because he was still inventing on the clock. Um, he quit school when he was 12 because the teachers told him he couldn't learn anything. And he had this to say about failure. Every wrong attempt discarded is another step forward. So don't stop believing in God's promises and purpose for your life just because you've had a few discarded attempts. Hang in there, be faithful, try again. The third thing we can do when we are like babies is to hope again. I've been reading a book recently by Reverend Samuel Chand. He's an author and he's an expert on leadership inside and outside of the church. And he actually specialises in the pain of success. He describes pain and failure as actually going hand in hand with living out your purpose. And he says this, To persevere, we need a vision for the future that's bigger than our pain. So I understand it this way. Each one of those Bible heroes that I just referenced, they persevered through 25 years, 120 years, surrounded by lions, persecutions, serial disappointment. But their vision of the promise of their future carried them through the pain of those trials. You know, trying again is hard. When you've suffered through failure, loss, rejection, you know the risks all too well when it comes to trying again. But that's why we need to get ourselves back into this childlike posture with God. Bring ourselves humbly into his presence and be continually born afresh so that he can bring new hope and vision so that we can see ourselves again as he does with such a bright, bold vision for the future that it obliterates your memory of the past and that it outshines your fear of failing. Whatever failures are in your past, when you come to God and ask for his mindset, his view of your future, this is what he sees. Not an adult with a whole lot of baggage and really good reasons not to hope, but an innocent baby. All of your failures as far away from you as the east is from the west. You are full of potential and promise. When God sees you, he's not thinking, well, I hope she survives. He is thinking grand, beautiful, wonderful, unimaginable purposes for your life. You know, we intentionally called this series Hope is born, not hope was born. Yes, when Jesus entered the world, he represented that hope was born. Hope for redemption, for salvation, for all that Jesus represents. But you know, through Jesus, hope is, in the present tense, continually born for us, moment to moment. When we have this sort of hope for the future, we can hang on to it when times get tough. This is for the vision, the vision for the future that Samuel Chan talks about that is bigger than your pain. Whether it takes one night in the lion's den or 25 years of waiting, our hope is in God and we know that he is faithful. And however often you need to, you can come to him and hope is born. So this morning I want to say to you, dream again, try again, hope again. 
I'm going to pray over you this morning. The band can come back up. As we stand, there's one last thing that I'd like to say. In Romans 15, verse 13, yeah, if you could all stand to your feet, I just want to be able to declare this over you this morning. This is found in Romans 15. It says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, I see this message as being for three types of people this morning. I just want to speak prophetically for a few moments over you. If this is you today, then you'll know. Firstly, there are people here today and you've given up on yourself. You've made mistakes, maybe a lot of them, maybe the same mistake over and over. You need to know that today you have a fresh start with God and tomorrow and the next day if you need it. God wants you to know that you can dream again. Break off the heavy weight of failure and the fear of failing again and start to dream again. Second type of person here today, you may be thinking you had a dream once, but you've started to give up or perhaps you've already given up on that dream because you failed. God wants you to know you can try again. God is a famous resurrector of dead things. He can breathe life into dry bones and he will restore lost dreams to you, even if it's been many years. There is an Eli here today. I believe in my spirit that God is going to give you your Samuel, your redemption story. Lastly, there are some people here who are so faithful. Like Nicodemus, you haven't lost your devotion. You've been slogging away at your calling, but you've lost hope that things will ever change, that you'll ever see the, break, the breakthrough that you used to believe for, and God actually wants to give you new hope today. So as we're standing here, just in this attitude of prayer, once you close your eyes, and if you're comfortable doing that, raise your hands to God. Dear God, I humbly thank you this morning that you are revealing and restoring hope to people's hearts and lives, even now as we pray. Father, that you are breathing life into what we thought was dead. God, you are resurrecting vision, releasing purpose, and restoring hope in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. To stay in touch with Encounter, Follow us on Instagram at encounter.cc or find us on Facebook at encounter.shepparton.